Thank you, Kenzie and worship team. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you know, all that stuff. I'm sure the 11 o'clock service is going to be packed, but glad that you could be here with us. And as Matt said, we're going to be in the book of Haggai. Haggai is kind of nestled right in there between Zephaniah and Zechariah. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. So go ahead and load up your Bible apps and uh, get that ready or take your Bible out like I do and, and come over to Haggai chapter 1. So... Today's date, you know the significance of today's date, not just that the clocks went ahead an hour, but do you remember what took place on this very day, two years ago? Remember that? March 13, 2020, a day that will live in infamy for sure. I remember that day well, it was a Friday. Right? You remember that day? Friday, March the 13th, 2020. Everything, the world, in effect, came to a grinding halt. Everything stood still. And that's two years ago. And sometimes you may think, man, that's been a long two years, right? And then on the other, in the other instance, you may think that, man, those two years just, just flew by. Kind of wrestling with that maybe over the last two years, that push and pull, that long and that short. You know, that's an that's indication, that's indicative of, of a sense of being really worn out, kind of weary over all the things that we've had to endure over the last two years. And, and if, you, if you needed to, if you wanted to, if you want to categorize the last two years, you can do so this way, as we've been told over and over again. You categorize your life, the very existence of the world, these two ways. Essential and non-essential. That's how everything's been kind of distilled, right? It's, everything's come down to that. Essential, anything that deals with me, myself, and I, which includes, by the way, cannabis shops and liquor stores and Costco, well, that's essential. But, but anything that deals with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and gathering here in person to worship the risen Lord has now been deemed non-essential. Right? We, we comply. We do our part as the church. We want to be good citizens. But our citizenship is in heaven from which we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't forget that. Because we gather here to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So there's that sense of weariness, right? You know, and the effects of which are, are going to be played out for a long time once this whole thing is over. We're seeing that. There's physical conditions and health concerns. The families are suffering the consequence. Not to mention the mental health crisis that we find ourselves in. Unlike anything I have ever seen in my life. Why? Essential and non-essential. There's a deficiency. The scales are not adding up, man. There's a consequence to all of this. There's this deficiency. You see, what's happened is we've misplaced our priorities. Not that the priorities were wrong necessarily, but we've misplaced them. First has become last, and last has become first. And then over time, we start to forget. 
we take for granted, perhaps, is a better way to, 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 to describe it. We forget that as we gather here in person, and, and by the way, a, a greeting to those of you watching online, but this is church here. It's not online. Never has been, never will be. We gather here to encourage each other. And we gather here for this purpose, as, as the worship team just led us in beautiful songs of praise, to proclaim the gospel that our sins have been forgiven through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we receive the offer of forgiveness of grace through repentance and, and faith in Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And now, through that, through the personal work of Jesus Christ, our relationship with God, broken, severed, as it were, with, by the sin that our forefathers committed, has now been restored. See? And now, and now our relationship with God the Father through the finished work of Jesus Christ the Son forms the basis of our relationship with the Holy Spirit in experience. What experience? This. This experience. As we gather here corporately to praise Him, as we, as we pray corporately and individually, as we read and study and immerse ourselves in God's Word. And we gather here also to proclaim that, that our days are guided by the beautiful triune God. And that, in fact, our future is secure. Our eternal destiny is secure in Jesus Christ. Nothing and no one can take that away from you. And you know what? That is essential. So it's, it's really, it's, it's come down to a matter of priorities. Right? First things first. I, I alluded to the, to, the, to the crisis that we're living through, some of the mental health and spiritual crisis that we're going through. Harvard University just published the finding of a recent study just last month, February 2022. Listen to this. They said 36% of all the respondents, including 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children are saying that they are experiencing a debilitating sense of loneliness. Resulting in a 246% increase in alcohol consumption. That, that number is not going to come down anytime soon. You see the consequences of essential and non-essential? Long-lasting priorities. Not that they were wrong. No. Just misplaced. So now comes the time. Now. Not tomorrow. Not a month, not a year from now. Now, will we begin to rebuild? Reestablish those priorities. As Haggai will remind us today, God will remind us, but the book of Haggai will remind us in his beautiful word today. And, you know, there's a, see, there's a very unique sense of consequences when you rebuild. Because rebuilding means that the foundation is, in essence, is there. Certainly in the church, the foundation of the gospel, what we just talked about. 
But the structure, using the metaphor of the structure, the, the timbers, the wall, the, the pillars are, have all collapsed under their own weight and lie in ruins. Four things that are necessary to rebuild that we're going to look at today through God's word. First is to recognize. You see, it's the number one priority of leadership is to identify your current reality. You cannot agree, you cannot move forward unless you, you, you agree on, 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 the, on, the, on the place you're at right now. You can't move from here to there if we don't even agree that we're here. So number one priority is to recognize. And, and the, same, the, the next thing is we're going to see that as we rebuild, now we have to refocus. And then we need to repent. Yes. Because a time of refreshing comes from repentance. And then, and only then, do we begin to rebuild. That's essential. That's hard work. It it ain't easy. But remember what Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. In this world, right now, now, you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus said, for I have overcome this world. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Haggai, draw your attention there. I'm going to just kind of set the framework for you right now. Paint the picture of what's happening in this book as we strap on our seatbelts and dive right in. I love this book. The book of Haggai is the second shortest in the Old Testament, Obadiah being the shortest. Haggai and Obadiah is referred to as the minor prophets. Quite frankly, I think we do a disservice by calling them the minor prophets in comparison to the major prophets. What is, does that mean that their message is less important? Certainly not. It's God's word. Minor and major only in the sense of volume and the amount of words being spoken. That's it. The minor prophets drilled down and their message more often than not is repent, repent, repent. Haggai communicates this very important message. Put first things first. It's written to a people, not not, not unlike us, who, who went through a significant time of crisis, in their case, 70 years of exile in Babylon because of their disobedience. They, and, and as they return, as the exiles return back to Jerusalem, back to the promised land, they, 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 they were drifting away. Physically they were there, but spiritually they were still far removed. That's what happens over time. You, you drift further and further away from the truth. You f- drift further and further away of the priority, putting Jesus the priority in your life. You don't drift into it, take my word for it, but you do drift away from it. Haggai spoke, as I said, this message to, to the Jewish people, God's covenant people, who were entrusted with the oracles of God, whose whole purpose, whose whole point was to point to the surrounding world that there is a true God. The God of the Hebrews is the one and true God from which came and comes the Messiah. They didn't do too well at that. But they were returned, as I said. The, uh, uh, Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem and Solomon's temple, the first temple, some 70 years before this, we're about to look at. They, they were faced with 
the task of rebuilding the temple. Haggai was a contemporary of Ezra. Ezra was the priest, the high priest, who initiated the rebuilding of the temple 70 years after the exile. In this case, we're now about 14 years after that. And although Ezra initiated the, the rebuilding, by this time they stopped. They tapped out. It's too hard. They tapped out. You know why? Because of the hostility. Because of the resentment. Because of the cultural context that they found themselves in. They said, you know what? It's better that we just just devote ourselves to the things that are essential and not worry about the things that are non-essential. Sound familiar? And here's what happened. See, over time, Israel got used to the temple lying in ruins. They got used to it. Foundations were secure, but the walls, as I said, were were, were in shambles and they were overgrown with weeds. And that temple, right over there in Jerusalem, the magnificent temple, was a silent reminder to them that their priorities were misplaced. A failure was to capture the incredible opportunity that was before them and the incredible opportunity that lies before us right now. Never in my lifetime have people been more ready to hear the message of hope than they have been in the last two years. I've heard story upon story upon story of God doing incredible works all over the globe. A pastor friend of mine who is, who is from Syria, who just recently arrived back from Syria, was in Syria and Iraq, and he said, Pastor Ed, you're not going to believe what God is doing there. People from the Muslim faith are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in record numbers. See, and then we can get kind of isolated and insulated from all of that, right? Because we've got to worry about what's next, right? And, and I get it. We're trying to stay ahead of things and to figure this all out. You see, because essential has become non-essential. But today's the day where we put this in proper order. Join me in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right into this text. Join me in a word. Father, thank you. Indeed, as we gather here to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into into his marvelous light, Lord, that that we would indeed reestablish, realign, get our priorities right, Lord. Not that they were wrong. No. Just misapplied, just reappropriated, just just incorrect. So God, help us now through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in this room, up and down each one of these rows, in all of our hearts, Lord, and those watching online, that we would assess this and that we would say, no, now's the time. Now is the time to rebuild our faith, our families, and our church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. Here we are in verse 1. Look look at what God's word says in verse 1. It says, In the second year of Darius, or to be more accurate, Darius, in the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah. And to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. 
Now, now look at that. Do you see the specificity there? You see how specific Haggai is? A very specific king who represents empire, Darius, or they would have referred to him as Darius. A very specific governor, Zerubbabel, and a very specific high priest. Where's God? Where's God in all this? You see, Haggai is not only just setting us a, a, a literary introduction, but he's establishing priorities right off the hop. Darius, by the way, or as I said, Darius, he was the third king of Persia. And he reigned from 521 to 486 B.C., 35-year reign. This, where we find ourselves, is two years into a 35-year reign, the very beginning. And it took him two years to establish his authority over the vastness of this kingdom. And, and how did he do that? By appointing governors. It's what his forefathers did, those who went before him, and, and it still goes on to this day. The governors did the bidding of the king. They carried out his decrees. Joshua was the high priest. This is not Joshua who brought the nation of Israel into the promised land. That happened sometime before. This is Joshua, the high priest. Where's God's word? Is it gone? Did it, was it removed? No, no. God's word's there, always there. God is there. God, God goes nowhere. It's us. It's them. Very specific date. Very specific Time. And by the way, this, this sixth month in the second year corresponds with this date, August 29th, 520 B.C. On that very date, here's what happened. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, by way of Haggai. God brought it through Haggai. By the way, he's mentioned, as I referred to twice in Ezra, in the book of Ezra. By this time, the theologians believe Haggai would have been an elderly man. Because he lived through the 70 years of exile, and this is about 14 years after that. So he's well into his 80s by this time. Zerubbabel, very interesting. He bears a Babylonian name, but he was Jewish. See what happens over time? Essential, non-essential, you don't even see the difference anymore. He was Jewish. He, he bared a Babylonian name. He was the governor of Jerusalem and a descendant of the last legitimate ruler of Judah, that being Jeconiah. Joshua was the high priest. The word of God had lost its prominence. No longer important. All right, let's keep going. And we're going to see this in verses 1 to 4. As I said, this is the time to recognize. So God is bringing this recognition. Verse 2. Look at verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people. You notice, note the quotation mark in verse 2. Thus, This is God speaking through the prophet Haggai. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not come. Not yet. Has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Who are these people? These are God's people, right? These are God's people, and they're saying, no, not yet. 
time has not yet come. Remember, as I said, they, they began the rebuilding some 14 years before, but then due to the hostility and the, the cultural climate they found themselves in, they decided to, to, to hit the brakes. And these people, and, and, and look as, as, as Haggai says, thus says the Lord of hosts, this is the God of angel armies. He's reminding them. It's a way of describing the vast powers at God's disposal. Do you really think God needs us and needs them to do this? But he, cho- he chooses to use us to do this. Haggai's the messenger. The word of the Lord is the message. These people, which people? My people, my covenant people who have returned from exile have not made me a priority. Says the time, they said the time has not come, not yet. And, and you know what? They had, they had legitimate reasons to feel that way. It's not that that was uh, uh, without some merit to them. Uh, the land was desolate for 70 years. Uh, the work was very hard. Uh, they didn't have a lot of money or manpower. We're about to see that in, in these next verses. Uh, they suffered crop failures, as we're about to see. And as I said, there were hostile enemies all around them. Ezra tells us that in Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. I would encourage you to read that. So that's the, the cultural context that they find themselves in. And as a result, they make the decision, no, no, not yet, not yet. Let's wait till things improve. Let's, let's, let's wait. Well, what about us? What about the cultural context that we find ourselves in? As I said, it was kind of distilled. It's been distilled to essential and non-essential. But as it relates to our cultural context, it can be defined this way, two things. Secularity and secularism. Secularity at its core, it represents human aspirations for self-realization, self-sufficiency, human accomplishments apart from God. Secularity. Nothing new about that. We read that very same story all the way back in Genesis chapter 11 in the account of the building of the Tower of Babel. I encourage you to read that. It's eerily familiar. Nothing new under the sun, as as Ecclesiastes Solomon tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Secularity is willing to a point to tolerate religion and the church as long as you keep your faith to yourself. And keep it out of the public square, so to speak. Right? But now we've advanced beyond that. Now we're in something called secularism. It's even more restrictive. It sees Christianity as a threat. A threat to what it means to be secular. You see, it, it seeks to replace biblical values and norms with political correctness, inclusiveness, and, and establishing science as the highest authority. It's science that will determine what is essential and non-essential. And as a result, it, it, it seeks to make attending church in person on a Sunday morning fearful and divisive. Rather than the hermeneutical of the gospel, that's what this is. We are applying the gospel. We, by gathering here, by gathering here, we are demonstrating the glory of the gospel. That's why it's so essential. 
It's the church, man. The God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, Holy Spirit-empowered, gospel-focused community of God. And by gospel focus, here's what I mean. I mean the Trinitarian focus on the incarnate, crucified, resurrected, ascended, and anticipated return of Jesus Christ the Lord who will bring ultimate healing and restoration to the created order. That's why we do this. That's why we do this. I know there's a lot there for us to kind of chew on, but let's just give that some more thought. All right, let's keep going. So the cultural context was not easy. The word of the Lord, verse 3, came by the word of Haggai. Verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Look at this. While this house lies in ruins. See, this is this, this, you, you need to recognize this. So, so what, has God got something against paneling? He doesn't like wood paneling? Maybe he'd prefer, um, I don't know, wallpaper? No. It's what it represents. You have time, you have talents, you have treasure to put the finishing touches on your own home. Now you have plenty of time to do. But my house lies in ruins and you cannot even devote any of those things to my house. You see, it's not so much about the house of the Lord, it's about your heart. Because the house of the Lord is representative of the heart. And the house of the Lord was the representation of God's presence as priority number one in the community of God and in the community as a whole. That's why this is crucial. This is essential. Because the whole community benefits as a result. You got time to panel your houses. My house lies in ruins. Then look at verses 5 to 8. Now, here comes the time to refocus. Look, look what Haggai says. God says through Haggai, now, 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 right now. Therefore, because of this, thus, consequently, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You better give some thought to this. And here's going to be a description of the past. Look at this, verse 6. You have sown much, harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, never have your fill. You clothe yourself, no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. What a description of the past. That's where you came from. Right? This is what's going on, man. You better pay some attention to this, right? And, and, and look as we go through this, you know... He says that you consider your ways, you've sown much, it's hard work, right? It's hard work to till the soil and plant the seeds, but you haven't harvested much, and you can easily draw the conclusion, well, it must be the soil. That's why. The soil, it's not good. Maybe. Oh, there hasn't been enough rain. Yeah, that's true. We're about to see that. But, but, but the, the, the tilling of the soil and the harvesting of the food also represented that you were just never satisfied. It's never enough. He says you drink, but you never have your fill. Now, that's not just in reference to water, but to wine. We're going to see that later on. And wine represents pleasure. Never enough. Always seeking more, more pleasure, more pleasure. He says, you clothe yourself, but no one is warm. 
you know, and clothing yourself is, is very symbolic and representative of being secure. You feel secure. You're clothed. You're warm. Nobody's warm. A lot of anxiety, a lot of worry. You just, you just worry, worry, worry. And then look at the last description here at the end of verse 6. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. I just love God's word. It's so very clear, isn't it? You can picture this bag, you know, with a tie at the top, and there's holes in the bottom, and they dropped coins in there, and the, and the coins just fell right through the holes. It's almost as though the coins sprouted wings and, and flew away. There was too much month at the end of the money, which is what happens when you misplace your priorities. You know what Jesus says about all that? Food and clothing and shelter. You know what Jesus says in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God promises to meet your needs, not your wants, but your needs. Seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. I think that's pretty clear. And look at this verse 7. As we refocus. That was the past. Here's the present. Look at this. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills. Bring wood. Build a house that I may take pleasure in it. That I may be glorified, says the Lord. Now, this is likely in reference to the mountains in Lebanon, to the north of Israel, to the north of the promised land, where the the best timber existed. The cedar trees were there, the beautiful trees. And and go up there and harvest those trees and bring those magnificent trees back here and start laying the beams, man. Start putting the pillars up. Time to get to work. Go up to the why. That I may be glorified, God says. That I may take pleasure in it. It's time now that we prioritize pleasing God before we, we consider pleasing ourselves. That's God's word says that. And, and, and you know what the, the author of Hebrews says about pleasing God? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I'm not making this up, man. I'm not making this up. It's right here in God's word. So you've got to choose, essential or non-essential. And, and, and I know it's a little fearful, right? It's a little fearful. And we've had our fill of that right in the last two years. Holy smoke. It's still going on. But there's no courage apart from fear. And there is no mission apart from faith. And there is no faith apart from God. So let's get to work. Go up to the hills, God says. Go get the timber. Well, there there could be danger up there. Yep. Yep. There may be people up there who are going to resist us. Probably. I might get hurt. Yeah, probably. Go. What are you waiting for? Then we come to verses 9 and 11. Now, now, now comes the time to repent. Look at this. Look what God's word says. 
Verse 9, you look for much, behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. You notice that? You notice in verse 9, not only were their priorities misplaced, but evidently so were their ambitions. And God's word says you looked for much. Your ambitions for, for the things that you were looking for, not only were your priorities misplaced, but so were your ambitions. Not that they were wrong, but they were misplaced. It came to little. And look at the description here. You brought it home. You brought it home. The chickens came home to roost, so to speak, right? Your ambitions, is this what you wanted? I blew it away. That's a description of a vanity, a vanity, a chasing after the wind. Ecclesiastes tells us that. <sighs> Gone. No substance. Nothing. It's because it's all about the here and now. It's all about me, myself, and I. The essential, non-essential. I blew it away. Because my house lies in ruins. Each one of you busies himself with his own house. Again, I said, not about the house. It's about the heart. Then look at verse 10. Therefore, because of this, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. In verse 11, I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Oh, my goodness. There's consequences for misplaced priorities and misplaced ambitions. There's consequences that come with that. And and, and look at verse 11 specifically. God says, I've called for. That's a decree. Called for is another way of saying God has decreed. You remember Darius or Darius the king? He would issue decrees. This is God saying, compared to my decrees with Darius's decree, can Darius withhold the rain? Can Darius withhold the produce from the ground? Can Darius call a drought on the land? You see what's happened? You've got your priorities all mixed up. Time to repent, man. For them and for us. For us. Right now. Right now. Please join me right now. As we're going to take a second right now. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please just join me as I lead us in a prayer of repentance. We're not finished yet, but this is a time to repent. Father, I I pray, dear God, that you would indeed forgive us our indiscretions, Lord. Those misplaced priorities and ambitions, Lord, that they weren't wrong necessarily, but Lord, we were so influenced by the surrounding noise, Lord. We will not have ears for it any longer or eyes for it any longer, but we will seek your word, Lord, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would reestablish us, Lord, that we would be used of you to spread the sweet aroma, the fragrance of the gospel, the only hope for this world. Lord, we, we ask you, we, we repent, we ask God, forgive us. Please, dear God, please, dear God, reestablish us that we can do the work of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right.
Then comes verses 12 to 50. Now, now, okay, now it's time to rebuild. Because you know what God's word says about repentance? You know what comes with it? Refreshment, refreshing of the Lord. Now, now we're time to rebuild. Look, look what verse 12 says. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. You notice the people? You see, it always starts with leadership, by the way. Always starts with leadership. If your leadership isn't passionate about this, if their heart's not, and don't expect the rest of the people to be that way. Everything rises and falls on the leadership. Zerubbabel, son of Shetil, Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the remnant people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Yes. It was disobedience that got them into this place, into this mess to begin with. Now, and obedience. This is a, this is a beautiful description of, of discipleship. Discipleship is the long path of obedience, maturity in Christ, where, whereby God the Father transforms us into the image of Jesus as empowered by the grace of the Holy Spirit, formed and fashioned by the gospel, all for His glory and for the benefit of others. Obedience. And look, do you, you notice at the end of verse 12, they feared the Lord. N- not the hostility and, the, and, and those who were trying to stop them. No, no, no. They feared the Lord. It's good. It's good for us to have a holy fear of the Lord. That's okay. It's good. We could use a little bit of that. Then verse 13. Oh, my goodness. Look at 13. You want to talk about a picture of grace. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. Do you see it? you see it? I am with you, declares the Lord. I've never left you. Kind of reminds you of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, the Great Commission, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go therefore, go therefore and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And what? And know that I will be with you till the end of the age. It's the same God who spoke then. It's the same God who speaks now. I'm with you. Then look at verses 14 and 15. And the Lord, look at this. Look at this. You see, the time of refreshing, the time has come. We've recognized, we've refocused, we've repenting. Now the time to rebuild. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Now, take note of the word spirit for a minute. Do you see that? It's lowercase s. Do you notice that? Okay, just keep that in your mind. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit, there's that word again, Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit, third time we see that word, of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord their God. So, so why do I mention that word spirit, lowercase s? Because often, not always, but often, when you read the word of the Bible, the, the word spirit, lowercase s, it's in reference to your thoughts. To, to your perspectives, to your attitudes. You see what's happened here? Misplace has been replaced and is now first place. Zerubbabel 
and Joshua are leading the people, and there's unity. They're on the same page, man. They're on the same page. The Apostle Paul talks about that, 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 that unity, that perspective. In Romans chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, that we would be mutually encouraged by our faith, yours and mine. Mutually encouraged. Our perspectives, our thoughts are perfectly in line. Mission, vision, values, and strategy. Let's go, man. Unity. They worked. Roll up your sleeves. Get your hands dirty. Let's get to work. And then look at the last verse, on on, on verse 15. On the 24th day of the month, the sixth month, the second year of Darius, Darius the king, 24 days later, 24 days of repentance, 24 days of gathering together, now they're working. You see what's happened? Non-essential has become essential. So as we wrap up, I want to leave you with two things today. Two things to consider. All right? Two questions for you. First one, that's going to deal with each one of us individually. Because what am I supposed to do with this? So your own heart. Here's the question for you. How, O Lord, are you calling me, you individually, you and me, how are you calling us to make a difference? In your kingdom, for your kingdom purpose, for a time such as this. It's got to start in your own heart first. Give some thought to that and some prayer to that, number one. Number two, here's the second one. Collectively now, corporately as a church, God glorifying, Christ exalting, Holy Spirit empowered, gospel focused, sacrificial, covenantal, sacramental covenant. Community of God. The only hope for this world. How are you calling us, collectively, your church, to be brave? To dispel fear, to speak into it. Not to create it, but to speak into it. In this time, in this place, to be disciples of Jesus and participants in your kingdom. Do we not pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? What an opportunity God is giving us to rebuild, to reestablish. As I said when we started, it was two years ago on this very day that we tapped out. That's what we did. We tapped out. No more. No more. Now you know what we're going to do? We're going to lean in. We're going to lean in. We're going to press in shoulder to shoulder, side by side, hand to hand. Every tribe, tongue, and language and nation together to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now's the time. Because Jesus is worthy Listen to this. Jesus says this in Acts chapter 26, verse 18. He says, open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. That's the gospel, man. 
That's the church. And, and you know what? That's essential. We can do it, man. We can do it. Amen. Join me as we close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Indeed, we love you, Lord. We love your word. We've asked for forgiveness, Lord, to reestablish those priorities as they need to be. Not wrong. Just put in the right place. God, I pray as those who leave here and those even watching online would be encouraged by this, but would come to the conclusion that, that there's no time like the present. The best time to do this is now. Forget about what's happened and, and look forward to the days ahead, but reestablish those priorities right now. There's a lot at stake here, Lord, because your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So God, lead us in that way. Encourage us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.